podcast is BYOT. Bring your own tacos. Dick swinging. Swinging. You're listening to American Slacker Podcast. We can say fuck. We can say fuck. With Matthew Gertz and Jesse Landers. I don't care if it's spoken. This is cool. That's a decent amount of sausage. This man you know needs what? a doctor. Yeah. I just hope they're tasty. What's up with these clowns, man? Cut the lights and went through people's pockets. Don't you point that at each other. Let them smoke a little. You need to like step it up to that point. <laughs> we're not gonna. We're not gonna lead with the. We're not gonna lead. Uh, that. So I first want to come in saying a big happy birthday to Slacker Matthew. It is Thank the, you, sir. the better half of American Slacker's birthday. <laughs> oh, isn't he sweet now? <laughs> well, I appreciate uh, the acknowledgement on the show here. Yeah, it'll be Don't actually, like this will come out a day before it, I believe. Yeah, yeah. It'll be my birthday on Tuesday. I'm getting old, man. It's the uh, 30th. Big three. Breaking oh. the breaking the boundaries <laughs> do you feel like an adult yet <laughs> nah nah I, I don't think i'm ever gonna yeah, fully right. commit to that shit i think <laughs> we've all been lied to and that's how you just age quicker right <laughs> well so yeah everyone make sure to wish matt a happy birthday i'm sure we'll put something up on the uh, page so everyone can chime in uh, thank you another thing we want to announce is we did our giveaway for 420 oh yeah we did and People are going to say it's rigged. Yeah, I know. We've been there's, saying it behind the scenes. We were there's like, investigations fuck. going into this, so don't worry. Our, we have the top people looking into it. <laughs> we have nothing to do with it. It was the uh, spin of the wheel. It decided that the Mad King was the one that deserved yeah. the 420 giveaway. And I think he was very happy. He was at like a Comic-Con event when, uh, when he was notified, so that was a little cherry on top of a good weekend, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, I bet, yeah. And, uh, I mean, we got to say we, we're happy he got it. He's one of our, our most loyal listeners. He supports Supporters. us on the Patreon, you know, and uh, you know what? He deserves it. So, good man, good bowl for you. Now, let's step into the show. Welcome to American Slacker Podcast. As always, I'm Matt. And I'm Jesse. And, again, congrats, man. We're glad that uh, that it was our first big, like, giveaway thing besides, like, Physical. stickers and stuff. Yeah, our first like real physical item to give away. It was cool. It was. Uh, we'll be doing a little more in the future, so keep an eye out and uh, keep an eye on that Instagram, man. That's where we always do these wonderful giveaways. So a, little, a couple other people that need a little notoriety are our Patreon supporters, or Patreon slackers, as we like to call them. First off, Dave Gunn, big thank you to you. Hell yeah, Dave. Thank you so much, man. Next, the man himself, Seth Anders. Ah, the Mad King. Thank you so much, man, and uh, hope you enjoy your, your gift. Next up is a podcast called Crime Roulette, run by Kyle, Noel, and Bradford. A show you should most definitely be subscribed to. And Thank our, you so much, guys. And our hearts and uh, thoughts and prayers go out to Bradford on his edibles overdose on 420. Ah, poor bastard. You'll get better. It'll get better, I swear. One like, one prayer. So If you need to talk, we're always here. <laughs> And last but definitely not least is Aaron W. of the Yes and I Am podcast. We got something coming out in the works with this guy. He's a lovely guy. And uh, thank you so much, man. Another way we like to show a little bit of love on the show is giving a shout out via Twitter. The way this works for our pod shout out of the episode is whoever tw- retweets our pin tweet with our latest episode gets entered in to possibly get this shout out. 
And as always, Matt, you get to do the honors. Uh, we have 27 retweets this time. Well, you know, it's. I feel like it's been 420 for, you know, just this past few days I've been living a lot of 420 stuff with the show and stories. And you said your birthday is always an extension my, of it, so it's actually My like birthday is technically like 420 to 424, all right? I'm one of those <laughs> people. I just like to get stoned from those days. But uh, I'm going to go with the 20. I'm okay. Going with number 20. 20. All right. This is a podcast we know and love over here. The In Poor Taste Podcast, and they're at In Poor Taste Pod on Twitter. Like if Comedy Bang Bang, Harland Highway, and Cashing In had a terrible baby. And they actually do a promo swap with us, so you'll you'll hear from them occasionally on our show. Yeah. They're out of uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania as well. So make sure to check them out. They're at In Poor Taste Pod on Twitter. Congrats, guys. Another great show we're leaving checking out. So Matt, what do we got coming up in today's show? Well, as always, we're going to start out with the bizarre news and uh, which we're going to talk about a tumbleweed takeover. It's pretty fucking crazy. Then, first ever, we've got a segment, a new segment, that's so goddamn big, it's got to take up two segments worth of time. So yeah. we're just finishing out with Slacker History, which is basically this month in history. You'll see. Stick around. It's going to be a lot of fun. I am looking forward to it. I hope you are too. And with our weird news, we always like to talk about a little bit of weed news. And... How can we pass up an opportunity to talk about 420? I hope everyone had a good holiday. Uh, a high holiday yeah. in our book, I'd say. Yeah. Not too high. <laughs> Just high enough. Um, exactly. And some people who were definitely high enough were... Was everyone who attended San Francisco's uh, smoke out in Golden Gate Park on, fr- on this past Friday? Oh, it sounds fun. We're talking about thousands of uh, joint-smoking, blunt-having, dab-doing festival-goers all meeting up for this annual event in Golden Gate Park. And this is something that, like I said, annually it it happens every year. Um, But this time around, which makes it noteworthy, is California is now legalized completely. Hell yeah. So it's the first 420 since full legalization. some weed yeah yeah that's got to be craziness i bet everybody was doing it up just that much more yeah you know it's not far from me and i i was working that day so i have to say i was a little upset that i didn't get to go myself but maybe someday um the videos that came out of it were crazy it was just everyone you know smoking having a great time uh one of the best things about it is everyone cleaned up afterward Oh, that's good. There wasn't a huge, like, mess left after, and uh, they were kind of enforcing that more and more each year, saying, like, you know, they'll hold out, like, a garbage bag on the way out, and hopefully people will pick up. Yeah, yeah, that's good, man. I mean, you always see that shit with a huge crowd, any of the festivals, it's just a fucking war zone after. Yep. So, that's really nice. And it puts a a good idea behind, you know, the idea of, like, well, you know... Those people that smoke pot, they clean up after themselves. You know, if you're, you know, you're renting the land to them, and you're not a like partaker. Right. Know? Well, I mean, the the place they were smoking was called Hippie Hill, and hippies Ooh. are known to protect the environment. So I guess one nice. would kind of go hand in hand. 
Yeah. Or, yeah. Jo- or Blunt in Hand in this case. <laughs> nice. Now, uh, there were thousands of people who attended this, and, you know, they the park opened at nine it's not sanctioned by the city but they know that people are going to do it anyway so they put a lot of um officers there and check people's bags on the way into the park to make sure that they didn't have things like weapons or uh explosives or anything like that you know make sure everyone's safe while they're token up yeah yeah exactly which is kind of cool to see the police kind of cooperating instead of enforcing uh like drug laws yeah drug laws against i was gonna say the law but yeah drug laws uh against people and just letting them kind of have a good time yeah yeah i really yeah i gotta say i enjoy that too it's really neat to see it and uh i hope a lot of other areas can take a note from this yeah definitely so people seem to have a good time only 12 people were uh transported to the hospital which is like a big increase from last year's two people paranoia do we know if it's like you know, it makes me wonder, I, I wonder if there is any correlation between it being legalized and more people being taken away, because, like, maybe there's higher THC contents or something, mm. or, like, it's more accessible to people who aren't as uh, high a tolerance or something, mm. yeah. Yeah, I could imagine people freaking out getting a good batch of some fucking Maui Waui or something, or even the edibles. Too today. many oh edibles, that'll do it. Oh, One at a t- time, wait a half hour. Yeah, that'll take you on a journey you'll never come back from. <laughs> So, if you want to read more about the uh, famous 420 smokeout up in San Francisco, we'll be posting this up on our Facebook page on Monday, like we do every week with our weed article. Awesome. Check it out. Now, you know, not everybody makes it to 420. Some people get a little anxious beforehand, and they just dive into their stash full hand. And then, you know, they're just like, I can't even do 420. It was just too much. And that's... uh. That's kind of what we're leading to on our next story is somebody who's had way too much. Now, this all starts with a woman showing up at a Wayne Township fire uh, firehouse in Indianapolis. Now, the firefighters are asleep. It's, it's late at night. And uh, the doorbell's going off frantically. You know, it's just bing, 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 bing. So they're waking up and they're like, something horrible's got to be going on outside. Huh. Now, that's when they run to the door and they see a young lady. And uh, she's quite frantic. And in her hands, she has a pet raccoon. <laughs> Hold on. Pet raccoon? A pet raccoon. I guess it could be legal in some states. Yeah, I mean, I've seen plenty of videos with people having raccoons and foxes and shit, so, you know, it doesn't surprise me. Right. Minor permit, maybe. This raccoon had an issue. Apparently, this raccoon had gotten into somebody else's weed. Uh-oh. <laughs> it was somebody else's. He claims... Yeah. Like the yeah, story yeah. raccoon. Yeah, man. Fucker. We know it's your stash. The owner was just hoping that these firefighters could help her out. And this this raccoon was just sitting there laying limp. Need a bag of Cheetos stat. Oh, man, exactly. Yeah, right? We, and the firefighters, they were like, well, you know, there's nothing we can really do. He just had weed? Like... He's going to be okay. He's just, you know, tired. Really like, high. How people, this is exactly how people react, you know? That's funny. It, it's not going to kill him. And uh, they were just like, it was so chaotic that even some of the firefighters thought the raccoon had gotten into a worse substance. Like one of them had said had gotten into meth. They were Ooh. making dispatch calls. It took a while to clear up what the hell was really going on. <laughs> Did he get into my meth? Did he get into my weed? I don't know. They were know, both man. gone, but I might have smoked the meth and forgot. <laughs> what do you think this raccoon took? 
Then I still look like you. <laughs> like, I have two raccoons here. One's on coke and one's on weed. Can't tell the difference. Well, you know, this led to the firefighter saying, with 420 right around the corner, pet owners should... Pet owners who are also pot smokers or edible munchers are reminded to keep their stash far away from their animals. So, be careful out there with all of your stashes. You don't want your raccoons, your foxes, your monkeys, you know, whatever you got getting into that. Yeah, there's a... There's a lot of animal news lately, because our, our next article also involves the, a plethora of animals, and we're talking about their poop. Okay, what is? What, why are we talking about animal poop? We're at the Detroit Zoo, where they're offering five-pound buckets of animal manure to the first thousand visitors on, I think, Earth Day? Oh, Yeah, it's like an okay. Earth Day sort of promotion, you know? Um, what am I supposed to do with this? Just a six by eight cell with no window and only a bucket to shit in. Wow, lucky first thousand, man. A lot of places, you know, they might just give you like a souvenir glass or, you know, a, a, hat. A, fa- a, a hat, something you might use in your daily life. But they give you a bucket of shit. Bucket of shit. And I imagine, so that's <laughs> on the way in, so you gotta walk around with this thing. Oh, that no, would be horrible. Or it's like a ticket and it's like, pick up your shit on the way out. Don't it's forget like- shit. Like, I'm not picking it up. I'm so it, it's obviously gonna be used for like fertilizer, it's to encourage you know making compost and whatnot. Yeah, and we're not talking like raw animal poop. This is poop that's uh, it's manure technically, it's gone through a uh, process where they kind of treat it and it becomes a nutrient rich fertilizer. And they actually okay. power the zoo's um, animal uh, hospital using the methane rich gas. Yeah. From the, all this poop, and then like the byproduct is this fertilizer that they're giving away. Really nutrient rich. And, great, know. great for your garden. Uh, spring's coming up. You know, you're gonna people are gonna be planting stuff. If you're in Detroit, go grab yourself some poop. Where else are you gonna get monkey? And I think I think they should put an shit. I think they should put an asterisk by the uh, the first thousand. It's like first thousand. And people to enter, or first thousand who will actually take home a bucket of shit. Like, yeah, like I, I could only imagine the percentage of the first thousand are like, eh, I'm, I'm just here for the zoo, man. I, you, you can keep the bucket. We can't give it away. <laughs> like, can I get the bucket without the shit in it? The bucket's kind of cool. I wouldn't even want the bucket at that point. <laughs> yeah, man, that's crazy. I can only imagine the smell that's coming from that. The booth that has all these shit buckets. Ooh. You know, waiting at the front. That's a hell of a way to greet your That's a bad fucking, job. Yeah. To greet all the people coming in. It's Hand like, out oh, man. Well, in our next story, uh, quite a similar smell is what brought down the most massive turtle ring I've ever seen. Uh-oh. Now, what's a turtle ring, you might want to know? Let me let me take a stab at this. It's okay. where, it's right. where t- uh, you have turtles... Fighting it out, kind of like a cockfight, but it's like turtles. It, it, it's like Turtle Fight it, Club. It takes typically about anywhere from 8 to 26 hours for these fights to end. <laughs> but, yeah, they're, they're yeah. Lo- it's attrition. It's a war of attrition. It, yeah, yeah. I mean, anybody could be into something that ends like that. You know, it takes a, you know, a real Check back in on it months later and see if your bet paid off. Patience and wisdom, you know. No, what, what actually is a turtle ring? So, this turtle ring is insane it's and it's basically a, a little setup to where poachers are stealing tortoises and they just round them up and then they basically export them illegally 
okay. and make a fortune. And now what this one exactly was, authorities ended up raiding this place and found 10,000 radiated tortoises. Are we, are we talking Fallout-style tortoises? No. No, no not that are, kind of radiation. Okay. They drew their name because they're a really sought-after uh, tortoise. They have a really cool pattern on their back that's like a star. Okay. It's a bunch of little stars. So uh, people really are into collecting them. They're also sold for bush meat. So people, you know, love the delicacy of tortoise soup huh. and all that, you know. So it ended up being a huge deal. They snagged all these tortoises. Um, it ended up being about 9,800 live ones that they pulled out. There was a bunch of dead ones, and they oh. actually caught the people burying dead tortoises as they, like, pulled on the raid. Did they allow them to finish the service? Nah, I think they <laughs> shut that shit down, and they just... Illegal turtle in bags. funeral. In the bags they go. Now, we've been going back and forth on turtle tortoise a little bit. I guess we have to make the distinction. These are tortoises. True. These are tortoises. I did say turtle. If that Hold house flooded, it. they'd all be fucked. They'd be <laughs> fucked. They, they can't swim. Yeah. But, um, yeah, they were everywhere, man. I'm not just talking like 10,000 in a room. They were in the kitchen. They were in the hallways, the bathroom, the Took bedrooms. All over the fucking place. And you can only imagine what 10,000 tortoises can smell like. Ugh. I mean, ah. I've smelled like, uh, you know, the reptile area when you walk through the pet store. I'm imagining it's like that, but enclosed into a smaller space. Oh, yeah, exactly. Uh, th- I should say this all occurred in Madagascar, by the way. You know, an area known for all their exotic animals. Huh. And, uh, it's sad to see, like, species like this getting jacked and Did- sold mainly to China and Asian countries. Okay. Did they mention anything about finding, like, a rat dressed in a robe trying to teach some of these tortoises martial arts? There's no notice of that, man, but one could only ponder with this many turtles. Some could have escaped. It sounds like somebody's trying to raise maybe a teenage mutant turtle Turtle that might know ninja skills or something. I don't know. Very plausible that Hmm. that could have occurred. Yeah, that'd be a cool comic or something, though, for real. But these tortoises are just, they're all getting rescued. Um, apparently, a great percentage of them actually died off from infection and uh, dehydration because uh, they really didn't have any water around in any of the photos I saw. So I'm sure. Overpopulation. Was, uh, yeah, it was within real. the household. Yeah, well, yeah, they had about uh, 20 too many, you know. 20. So, yeah, I'm glad this has got busted. It's just crazy. These images. Uh, of all these tortoises in these rooms, man. It's, it's like scary in how many yeah. there are. Yeah. Yeah, it's just out of control. Well, another out of control instance of animals that we're talking about is what happened in Texas with a group of baboons who worked together to escape from a biomedical testing facility. They're like, we out. Awesome. That's awesome. Like, that's fucking. You're not putting lipstick on us anymore, fuckers. And they fucking jump the fence. That's movie quality, man. Yeah, now this took place in Texas. It was uh, at the Southwest National Primate Research Center where they have uh, about 1,100 baboons. And they're used uh, in studies that include obesity, heart disease, insulin, and other things. Um, They have this big open-air enclosure that the baboons, like, run around in. I was shocked by, like, the video with how big this thing Mm. was. But it's huge. It's like if you took a like a stadium and just like took all the seats out and shit, and the the walls are slanted in, so they're supposed to hold in these baboons that just kind of you know do their thing. It's pretty large. Yeah, 
but within this enclosure they have these blue barrels uh, like you know ones that you'd see like on a construction site or, or by the side of the road or something and these barrels are filled with food so that they can like roll them around and forage for food but they got smart used these barrels to hop the fence and four of them took off they were like, oh shit, the first one did it, and they were like, oh! We out! Oh! Vroom. That's there, so fucking funny. There was even video of one of the baboons running down the highway with uh, some of the workers chasing after him, which I just saw that and thought, like, uh, you're not catching that thing. God damn it, Richard. I told you we should have never given him the barrels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they were smart enough to stack them, and a lot of people started tweeting, you know, if these guys are smart enough to make a break for it, you should, like, let them go. Like, clearly, they're not meant Ooh. to be in there if they're, like, trying to get out. Yeah, it's a tough argument with intelligence and captivity and testing, but, I mean, you, you should, know, I they, mean... So, they should be able to earn their freedom if they break out? Yeah, like, I mean, hell, they they kind of beat the gauntlet. It's like the Hunger Games in a way, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> or that, uh, the scene in, uh, I forget what it is. It's like Apocalypto or something. I forget what the movie is. Is it like the people run and the ones that live get to survive? Yeah, yeah, and they're like shooting at them with the bow and arrows and shit. I know exactly what you're talking about. Hopefully one of our listeners will be able to tell me which movie I'm talking about. (laughs) Um, So yeah, four baboons got out. They all eventually were uh, found and and brought back in. And they have uh, no injuries. No one else got injured. I'm glad, because we watched the videos of them getting rodeoed up, and it was quite ridiculous watching these employees, like, trying to jump out of cars and chase them down on foil. I was like, Yeah, like, what are you going to do? Ta- as soon as you touch that thing, it's going to turn around and sink its, like, three to four inch long fangs into fangs your hand. Your like, fucking God. Oh, scared. Just talking about it. Baboons are scary, man. Watch a, watch a baboon hunting video and then come back, right? Yeah, they'll rip apart other monkeys. They don't even yeah. care. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that was a hell of a breaking out story. Let's move to a hell of a breaking in story. Now, let me set the pace. It's, uh, it's, it's later in the evening. A young lady is returning home to her house in Louisiana on a Tuesday. This is 420 Eve. Oh, uh-oh. Now. It's like all Hollows Eve, except more stoned. <laughs> she uh, comes home from work and finds a lady naked in her bathtub and eating her Cheetos. <laughs> a little Cheeto robbery? Yeah, man. It, and the lady had had her. She had a nice little setup. Had a bubble bath with a plate of food and a half-eaten bag of Cheetos. Nice. And. Uh, <laughs> She had them on the toilet, too, which was quite funny. Ugh. <laughs> uh, eating off the toilet. Ew. So the bag now, of, she's in the tub bag of Cheetos is sitting on the toilet? And, the, and probably like a sandwich or whatever is on the plate. Ugh. Well, see, what's, what's great is you can if you open the toilet, it'll just hold the bag open for you. Uh, <laughs> nice and upright. Float in there. Float, there. float in there. You can just oh. grab it. It's like you're bobbing for Cheetos. The, oh, it almost sounds like you've done this before, man. Ah. Oh. No, no, never. Of course not. <laughs> never, no, never, right? I've uh, never rigged up yeah. a bag of Cheetos to a toilet to make sure I can eat while I'm in the shower. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad to hear this. Now, the lady who broke into the other lady's house claimed that a another unknown gentleman told her to break into this house. That she lives, like, less than a mile away from. She lives, oh, like, right off the road, like, on the same road. So, so this was a, a neighborhood story. B&E. 
Yeah, and some crazy neighbor. I don't have any note if the lady was under the influence of anything, but her mugshot is priceless. She's just like, yeah, I broke in, so what? <laughs> you know? It's just like that, that look, man. That, like, maybe your girlfriend would give you, like, yeah, I ate your leftover food from last night at the restaurant. <laughs> what are you going to do about it? You got to chain those Cheetos up in the cabinet. <laughs> Put some child locks on there. Yeah, man. Got to be careful. Well, you also have to be careful if you are living in the town of Victorville, California. Because you just might get taken down by a tumbleweed. Oh, man. The, the threat they never tell you about. Yeah, these things are dangerous. We experienced a little bit of tumbleweed action ourselves when we were in uh, Vegas one night. Yeah, man, I thought that was the coolest shit. I probably highly overreacted to being like, that's a fucking tumbleweed! Because it's just so crazy to see from like you only see it in on cartoons, like on the East kid. Coast, yeah, yeah, and cartoons, and then fucking there it is, <laughs> right in front of you. So yeah, these uh, heavy winds—that's always what it is with these tumbleweeds. They'll come blowing right in to your town if you get anything over like you know 20 miles an hour. So heavy winds have caused a Southern California town to be deluged with tumbleweeds. Ah oh, man. Yeah, that's horrifying to have your house just encumbered by these things. Yeah, we're talking 100 to 150 homes. Like, that are, you know, their doorways are being barred by these tumbleweeds blowing in. And it's, like, tough if you don't have access to your garage or something. You're not really going to be able to get out. It's yeah, not like I can you can imagine. push these things with their hands because they're actually really spiky from what I understand. That's what I was wondering. They seem like they could actually give you splinters or cut you up. Uh, yeah, they're they're definitely because it's essentially like a, from what I understand, a bush that's dried out and broke off, and now just it's the skeleton of like a bush. Oh man, it's just like the thick enough limbs that are just durable, taking that beating as it rolls into the, like the boulder from Indiana Jones, waiting to fucking get somebody or something. And then uh, you end up having them like combine with each other, and they like transformers their way into being a larger tumbleweed that's like oh, the size of your car gets blowing across the highway <laughs> they're intelligent <laughs> they're they're combining their forces so this uh i really feel for these people out in victorville they're, they're just getting inundated with these fucking tumbleweeds out of nowhere and yeah. there's there's not much they can do about it except you know keep moving them the city's trying to uh, collect them all up and sort of move them out of town but if the wind comes back in the other way they're just gonna come back in you know yeah there's not yeah, much you exactly. can do with them. And you can't burn yeah. them, because anything in California, you just burn, just starts a giant fire. So you Burn down half the state. Yeah. In, in New York, that's what like the answer to everything is. It's like, oh, we'll just like get it all together and we'll burn it. <laughs> it's so dry out here. you got to watch those tumbleweeds. Yep. Be careful, people. <laughs> now, our next story has me wondering how somebody could ever make $1.2 million off of fajitas. Okay, we're talking like small chain restaurant? <laughs> no, that would be honorable. Jesse's right? and Matt's uh, fajita extravaganza. Oh, I like it. We'll talk about this off the air. <laughs> we're always coming up with the best ideas on the microphone, of course. Letting all the people steal them. So. Fajitas and burritas. That's what we'll call it. <laughs> all right, we got to hold this for after. We're giving out too many million trillion dollar ideas. It's a secret sauce right there. We're talking about a non honorable way. A former juvenile detention center employee has been sentenced to jail for 50 years after stealing $1.2 million worth of fajitas over a period of nine years. That's a lot of peppers, onions, and beef. 
That's a comfortable $130,000 side salary from your fajita business you got going on. Okay? A year. That's, that's insane. Si- that's side salad salad. S- side salary. <laughs> I just fucked myself up with that one. Side salad, side salary. So you can get all the side salads you want with that kind of side salary. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> man. It'll get you. Now, this all occurred in Texas. And it all he got caught in just a stupid catch-up. He called out of work one day. He wanted to play hooky. And the employee that was covering for him received a sudden call or a funny call from their uh, shipping company that said, Hey, we just wanted to confirm this order of 880 pounds of fajitas. <laughs> I got 800 chicken fajitas. <laughs> now, the only problem there is, you know, you would expect maybe a juvenile center might, you know, use up that much fajita. Maybe. Cereal, uh, you know, the only problem is they don't even serve fajitas there. That's like a Twilight Zone thing. Like, you pick up the phone, it's like, I have 800 pounds of fajitas for We don't even have fajitas. That's crazy, man. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, he was immediately fired and arrested the next day when he came to work because uh, they realized what was going on. And they they went back to the records. It's embezzlement, essentially. They're like, "Uh, yeah, can we have, like, our uh, receipts for, like, the last few years? And uh, easily figured out this guy has been pillaging Fajitas, like nothing different. <laughs> fajitas. I don't know why they found his fridge was stacked with fajitas. So like I'm imagining the materials, right? You know. But uh, yeah, so he admitted to it, and 50 years for you know the 1.2 million dollars in fajitas. So I hope it was worth it. That uh, lavish lifestyle you lived. You you know, once you start slinging fajitas, the money just keeps rolling in. The women, the drugs. It's just, you can't, it's a life that, that no one really warns you about. You think you're yeah. going to be on top of it all. You're going to be the king of shredded chicken and beef. And mm. it yeah. just, we don't know. it ends up like Tony Montana. It does, man. Yeah, yeah. Nobody tells you the fajitas are the gateway drug for sure. But they are. Let us tell you that right Soon now. Soon you'll start having enchiladas and fucking tostadas. Going down that hole. <laughs> oh, man. It's a hole you don't want to go down. Yeah, well, that's our uh, bizarre news for the week. We got a funny clip for you, though. This is one we're calling the Double Down. We're not talking chicken sandwiches here. We're talking about a one-two punch to the face. Uh, oh, man. Delivered by Karma, maybe? I don't know. It wasn't too bad. Like, the person wasn't <sighs> acting that much a fool. Just a little bit. It was set to fail from the very beginning, and... It just gets worse as it goes. And let me tell you, it gets funnier every time you watch it. Yeah, there's like a little element added. It's like one of those movies where it's like, oh, I see that they wrote in that part from the end in the beginning, but I didn't know. It just gets like deeper and deeper in itself. So this lady, uh, she's at like a high school sporting event, it seems, and she jumps from the stands onto the track and loses footing immediately face plants. Boom, down. Then recovering. All right, people are laughing, but maybe she could still get out on the field and make it, make herself known. Oh, you're gonna make yourself known, cause boom, right into the sprinkler. <laughs> <laughs> she takes a high-powered sprinkler to the face and just—that's the second punch. We're talking double down. That's first one falling, second one boom, right in the face with it, the sprinkler. Yeah, it literally sends her limp for a second. Like she goes straight as an arrow, just like whoa. Oh. And I mean, I guess that's what you get for running out on the field when you're not supposed to. Yeah, yeah. That's what makes me think it's like a karma sort of thing, but it's like instant karma, if anything. Yep, yeah, exactly. That's what you get for breaking the barrier. (laughs) 
So we'll be posting that up on our Facebook page on Wednesday, as we do every week with our funny clip, just to make your midweek a little bit funny. Yeah, hell yeah. Now, let's get into slacker history, but right before we do that, we got a word from murderous minors, killer kids. This is Murderous Miners, Killer Kids, bringing you the frightening and truly insane tales of children with the thirst to kill. Kindergarten through 12th grade murderers. True stories thoroughly researched. Join us weekly for new tales of parents' worst nightmares on Murderous Miners, Killer Kids. And we're back. And uh, we got a brand new segment for you motherfuckers. And we are excited. We are popping at the seams with knowledge right now. <laughs> from this event we dove into. Like, it, it's consumed our lives. You want to get into the concept here of what we're new, our new segment is? Yeah, the way this works, uh, we're calling it Slacker History. And we pick an event that happened during the current month of the episode. The, uh, when the episode's being released. And we kind of dive into it, and it's we're trying to pick stuff that's not as well known. You know, there's a lot that has happened in April. Yeah, yeah, there really is. That you may already know a lot about. Yeah, exactly. Like, we were, like, going to mention a few of just, like, the Titanic and, uh, you know, FDR passed away. Um, there's, there's a bunch, you know, and uh, we're trying to find stuff that you guys haven't heard about. And I think uh, Jesse found something here that is so entertaining and it's one of the craziest mutinies of all time yeah you guys know we like pirate stuff we went on and on for weeks about sea of thieves and uh you know matt suggested black sails as a tv show for people to check out so when we heard about a mutiny that happened in april i was like we gotta we gotta look into this and see what's going on and this is actually it's dubbed the mutiny on the bounty which happened april 28th 1789 yeah, and it's just a crazy tale involving, you know, betrayal of friendship and uh, just excruciating terms. Meeting of cultures and, yeah. uh, like you said, friendship and uh, betrayal. It's It has everything. So we're going to do our best to cover it. I'm sure there's a lot that we'll be leaving out because we don't have... It's not Dan Carlin's hardcore history. We don't have three <laughs> <Yeah>. hours <laughs> to yeah, pack it yeah. all in. But yeah, we'll, exactly. we'll do our best here. So, and actually, if you want a good, I'll save the movie till the end. We'll tell you about that later. <laughs> I was gonna say, let's start out with the the, the beginning. All right. So, in the beginning, we uh, we're talking about our main players here. We're talking about Lieutenant William Bly, who was the uh, captain of the Bounty. Yeah, and a very cruel man. From everything we've heard through documentaries, movies, everything, he was very rough on his men. Very stern, but he was a, uh, a very educated man of the sea and uh, serving since he was about seven years old. That's really young, even for like that time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was just also he could get in the service time so that when he was old enough, he could instantly join in to the Navy, you know, with um, service already. Have some experience under his belt. Yeah, at 16 he became an able seaman, which is a, a, a man that has two years of sea experience. So that that's like an instant title, you know, above like people that are just starting to get into ship work. 
and uh, immediately he worked his way up to midshipman, you know, which is uh, the lowest ranking officer, but still, that's an officer of the ship. Right. Maybe. So he's got this uh, this reputation of, you know, being able to get, to get the job done for uh, king and country. And in February 1775, the West India Company, a group of merchants and property owners, proposed the idea of bringing breadfruit from the South Pacific to the West Indies, or the Caribbean, I guess it would be today. Yeah, yeah. It's, that's a weird little fruit, man. It's a delicacy, I guess, and you like heat it up and it tastes like fresh bread. It's got like a potato potato bread flavor type deal. It feels like bread. It's really weird. Okay, but it's a cheap fruit, uh, food for slaves is what... Uh, exactly. It's the whole reason that they decided to yeah. for this. It grows real easily, yeah. So they're trying to bring it to the Indies. So by June of 1787, um, Secretary of State uh, announces the purchase of a ship to be called the Bounty and to be commanded by uh, Captain William Bly, or, well, Lieutenant William Bly, not not actually a captain by rank. And, yeah. And they propose that it will voyage to the South Pacific to go and get these breadfruit. Man, they gotta get them breadfruit. So the whole purpose of this, it's not the most... Uh, noble of journeys, I guess. You're kind of basically just uh, an errand boy, in a way. Yeah, yeah, you're kind of like, yeah, a navy, like, mer- merchant ship at that point, which, you know, eh, it's... You're like a middleman for breadfruit. Yeah, yeah, I mean, shit. What else is he gonna do, you know? <laughs> it's, yeah, it, I guess it's a job, you know, it, it would pay. And it was interesting, because the uh, ship, the Bounty, it wasn't a big ship, you know, it was... It had about 46 men, 44 seamen, and two botanists, and one very drunk surgeon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fucking surgeon, man. Um, it was actually a failed merchant ship. They had, uh, it was built for to be a merchant ship, and then the, uh, the like, governor, the government bought it, basically. Okay. They were like, well, let's fucking just get this ship. Like, oh, okay, deal. that works. Yeah. And it had three masts and was about 91 feet long. Yeah, and it was fitted with just a few guns, I believe, like, uh, four long guns and, you know, a couple swivel mounts, and that was it. It wasn't really meant to be a warship. And I guess the quarters were pretty cramped, too, because the captain's quarters, where normally the higher-ranking officials would um, be able to, like, kind of live and do their business, it was converted into a greenhouse to store these breadfruit transplants. Yeah. They had, like, an elaborate uh, watering system to keep them all hydrated and everything. So they had this set up pretty well. They had a nice little greenhouse going on, mm. their, on their ship. Yeah, but it left Bly with literally a normal cot to sleep on. Just yep. a small cot, you know, which is odd for the captain of the ship, even though he's not the real captain, but you know what I mean. Right, I mean, maybe the if they right had there. a bigger ship, it wouldn't have been as cramped or something, but they mm. weren't willing to give them anything except this 91-foot merchant ship. And uh, so yeah, it took a while, right, to get to get this journey going. Yeah, even to get out of the port. I guess in early November of 1787, they arrived in Spithead, England, to await or- sailing orders, and then they didn't actually get out to sea until uh, November 28th. But he's forced to anchor um, in the on the Isle of Wight because of bad winds. Okay, yeah. Instead of going further, so they I'd got say. they they got very very little distance covered just between uh beginning of november waiting for sailing orders to december and then they didn't even leave the isle of Wight until december 23rd of 1787 jeez okay 
Man, yeah. After they finally get out, sailing goes pretty well. They, you know, stop at an island to write a letter back to the uh, main guy that sent them on this on this voyage to say, like, eh, everything's pretty well, you know. One of the things that Blythe mentions is he's having the men do dancing because it's such a small ship and he wants to keep people <laughs> exercised and not, like, rowdy. Ah, yeah, try to keep them in line. Yeah, right, they're not going to be back-mouthing and, and doing their own thing. If they're tired. <laughs> They'll just be like, yeah, whatever, I'm going with it. There was one uh, instance of someone, um, this is later in the trip, but someone back-mouthed them, and they had they were tied to the mast with, like, a bit in their mouth and punished. Yeah, and that seemed to be a constant theme with him. Like, a light, I heard a light lashing for him was 48 lashes. Oof. In a 48? How do they yeah. land on that? That was, that was the light lashing. Like, uh, that, that's what caught me. I was just like, holy shit, what happens if you are bad? Right? Oh, my God. <laughs> so, after they uh, stop at the island to write the letter saying all is well, um, they attempt to go around the tip of South America, between South America and Antarctica? I, I always flip. If it's the Arctic or Antarctica, I believe it's Antarctica. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, this is also uh, known as, modernly, as the Drake Passage. Which is one of the most notoriously rough, air, rough, cold, stormy areas to sail. And even in that time, it was remarked that there's only like one good like week out of the summer to actually sail through there. And they had reached that by like they they had struggled all through May to try and get through there. So they weren't exactly their timing was all off. I feel like timing really screwed this whole mission to a certain extent. Yeah. Yeah, they're just making it way harder to work to get there. And if you look at a map, you know, if you sail south from England to South America and try and go under the continent, you'd be circumnavigating the globe, which was, like, I guess the idea of sailing that way as opposed to the other way around the Cape of uh, Good Hope, which is in Africa. Yeah. So I think I feel like that was their main idea was like, okay, you know, we'll be able to go all the way around the globe if we take this route. But bad storms, a lot of wasted time ends up. They had to kind of cut their losses and go the opposite way. So they went from the tip of South America over to the southern tip of Africa and sailed that direction over to Tahiti, which was the main uh, place that they were looking to go. Yeah, and it had a lot of draws to all the crew, man. And it actually ended up being quite the issue down the line. You know, they were they were in love with the the tropics and the women. You know, like from what we've seen anyway. And uh, it's just a crazy story about how the men loved Tahiti. Well, that and if you think about it, they just came from what months on a boat with no land and no ladies to talk to or anything, like just yeah. other stinky crew members yeah that yeah. i would love i would love to see any like one from the opposite gender at that point yeah exactly and they actually had to stay there for a little bit right yeah what happened when they landed in tahiti on october 26th of 1788 they were gathering the breadfruit but it was remarked by one of the botanists that it wouldn't the saplings wouldn't take if they ended up um trying to like you know grab them and go right now they needed time yeah. to mature essentially okay 
And that's where, you know, a lot of the crew members ended up living on land with the locals. And they ended up, like, forming relationships, you know, and uh, I guess a lot didn't want to leave, man. And I can see why, you know, they probably thought that the life of, like, living there and just farming and just living was probably a little easier than the shit they just put up with on Bly's ship to, like, get here. Absolutely. And one of the men that really kind of settled into his own routine was Christian Fletcher. Yeah, now, yeah, he's a another main character to this story. Christian Fletcher was a friend who had sailed with Blythe in the past on missions, and he seemed to gain some favoritism in uh, in the eyes of uh, Blythe over the rest of the crew. He was even promoted to acting lieutenant above the rank of another person who was already d- doing that job. Yeah, yeah, which is definitely going to create waves in the crew. I like what you did there, create waves. You know Talking ships. <laughs> oh, man, can't help but do it. The puns come free and unintended, but right. they're there. So, uh, Christian Fletcher was a little bit younger, right, than Blythe? Yeah, ten years younger. So, uh, definitely, a, you know, probably a wiry young gentleman who wants to prove himself at the same point. So, he probably did a lot for him, you know, and that's why he probably saw this favoritism with him as a young, young gentleman. You know, I'd imagine he saw him as a brother, possible son figure. Yeah, and he was held in in higher rank than most of the crew, too. So, you know, yeah. you'd assume that he'd be a little bit closer to the captain. Exactly. Yeah, he's going to be the right-hand man. I mean, you're going to... What are you going to do? There's a lot of talking there, you know? So he even ended up marrying a Tahitian woman while they were in Tahiti. Isabella. Which I'm sure isn't anything close to what her actual... <laughs> Um, Ma. Oh man, what was? It? I'm sorry, I messed this up. I forgot. I, I said it earlier. Mahutawa, Mahutawa, or Mahatau, or something. Yeah, something yeah. along those lines. Yeah, um, he just gave her Isabella was his name for her. So his they English name. they <laughs> fell in love along with, or well, supposedly along with uh, the many other crew members who kind of settled into their own routine routines and made homes in uh, Tahiti. Um, three men in January of 1789. Uh, tried to desert and they eventually were caught upon Bly's orders and flogged. So there, there's some of that, uh, that temper we know from Bly again. Here's the deal about that story. Actually, that was the light flogging I was talking about. Now now they received, he gave them a light sentence of 48 because he didn't want the crew to think that he was too harsh. Yeah, uh, he wanted to okay. prove his point. He wanted to prove his point, but he didn't want. He he wanted to maintain. He needed the crew, you know. He needed those guys for the rest of the journey, right? So you know, and he's already having a difficulty with them fucking wanting to live, you know, live there and right. stay behind. Yeah, which is a hard thing to break, you know. How do you tell someone to go? Home? It's like br- taking a kid home off the playground. Like, yeah, come mm. on, Jimmy, it's time to go home. Like, no, they don't want to go or a dog home from a dog park. They just want to keep running around and having fun. But at the same time, when you sign on with a ship, dude, it's like your loyalty is everything. So, it, you know, at this time, it was a you're big deal. You're on the clock. It was a big deal. It's like, yeah, you're like a lazy fuck. It's like, no, 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 no. You're fucking on here. You can come back here when you're done, but we have a journey to do. This, this breadfruit has to get there. I guess that's kind of <laughs> like... Uh, traveling for work too like you can't just stay in the place they send you you need to come back and like finish your job 
Yeah, your job sends you to fucking Las Vegas for a fucking conference and you go bananas. It's like, I think I'll just like, stay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what, John? I'm not coming back. What the fuck do you mean you're not coming back? You got appointments Monday. Right? They, I had said that they landed in October of 1788. They didn't end up leaving until April 5th of 1789. This is Tahiti we're still talking about, right? Yep. Well, this yeah. is about six months later. They start their return to England. They, uh, under Blythe's command, they load up the breadfruit plants and leave Tahiti en route for England. A lot of friction, too. They definitely didn't want to leave, but he made them, you know? He was he was a decent captain. He kept his ship in line. That's and that's the thing that I think we were talking about earlier is like is Blythe to blame for like you kind of have to be harsh to be a good captain. So like you can be a good captain or you can be a friend, but you can't be both. Exactly. Yeah, and I'm sure you know that's the thing that probably falls in with the Christian is that he probably got the side of both. You know? Yes, and it's you hard know, to keep those two did. separate. And there exactly. is, on April 21st of 1789, Blythe and Fletcher Christian exchanged harsh words. Christian tells Blythe, I have been in hell with you for weeks. Oof. Yeah. And, uh, he's been ripped away from his love, too. So, you know, God knows the feeling of, like, anger and resentment he's holding. He's been, uh, you know, reprimanded in front of the crew plenty of times mm-hmm. by now by Blythe. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Not necessarily taking beatings, but with the way that he talks to him and stuff. Yeah, just very downward talking, you know? Yeah. And then, to top that off, it seemed like some of the crew was even supporting uh, Fletcher Christian in terms of a mutiny. Mm, yeah, there were there were mentions that uh, he would have the hand if he were to, you know, take the reins and try to siege the ship. He would uh, have the majority of the crew behind him. So... With that in mind, one one last incident broke out before this mutiny went down, and it involved coconuts. On April 27th <laughs> and, uh, of 1789, Blythe confronts uh, officers who he blames for taking coconuts from the bounty's stash. Blythe, according to one eyewitness account, tells Fletcher Christian and others, I'll sweat it for you, you rascals. I'll make half of you jump overboard before we get through Endeavor Straits, which is like an area uh, off the coast of Australia. Uh, man, it's fucking crazy that, you know, coconuts are what really leads the... One day before, yeah, seriously. It tips it over, man. It just tips it over the scale. The coconut incident was it. I mean, like, is he overreacting? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, he cut the rations in half and was like, uh, I think he cut off the liquor, too. He was like, no fucking rum for anybody. So people were about done with that. But before we get into the mutiny, let's hear something from the Dudes with Brews podcast. Hey, everyone. My name is Drew, and I host a podcast called Dudes with Brews on a porch where we let the drinks flow and the conversations go. Each and every week, me and a friend of mine, we sit down, we try a different craft brew, usually from the state of Wisconsin, and we just sit down and have a conversation. We talk about all aspects of life. Once a month, we talk about paranormal stuff, and we always have a good time. You can find our show, Dudes with Brews on a Porch, on iTunes, Google Play, and anywhere else you find your podcast. Grab a cold one and hang out with us each and every week right here on the porch. And we are back, continuing our slacker history. This is the moment that I'm sure you've all been in, sitting in anticipation for. We are talking about the mutiny on the bounty, and this is the day that it all goes uh, down. Yeah, early morning, man. And the crazy thing is that, 
you know, Christian was going to jump ship. He was just going to desert the ship. And that's when two other crew members grabbed him and they were like, listen, man, no. Like, we've been telling you, you can take this ship and you need to do it because we're all unhappy. It's like, if I were you, I'd do it, man. (laughs) So instead of, you know, skipping off on one of the uh, ship's little skippers, he decides, he, he goes to bed that night and he wakes up early in the morning. And that's when he decides... All right, and he grabs the two crew members, and they start going through the ranks, and they, they let all the other crew members know. Waking everyone they, up. It's happening. It's to. happening. Yep, and uh, they go right for him. They go right for the, the captain. In his they, bed. Yep, they grab him right away, man. And uh, I think there was a couple of the guys that got up that weren't in part of it, and they said, you know, hold your tongue or you'll be a dead man. Yep. You know, and they were they were not having this group reverse. There were a bunch of people still loyal to Blythe uh, at mm. this point on the yeah. ship, especially the higher-ranking officers. Yeah, there were quite a few still, and uh, so that was an issue. And that's you know they ended up forcing him over. Well, they had a, it, they had a confrontation first, right? Yeah, and and just to put a date on it, this all happens on April twenty eighth, seventeen eighty nine, as Matt said, early in the morning. They uh, are holding him. You know, and deciding what to do with the captain and uh, Christian Fletcher being a friend of his, you know, and now in charge of the ship in a way, or at least in charge of the mutineers. Uh, he he's arguing against them cutting uh, his throat, essentially. And he says to he says himself, uh, I'll run you through if you do not leave this boat uh, with like, you know, a, a blade to his, to his throat while he's being held. Mm. And everyone wanted to kill him. Everybody did, yeah. Like, well, all the surrounding, you know, the, I'm sure the uh, the supporters kept shut. Because but, why? Uh, I mean, it's a loose end. If you're going, mm-hmm. mutiny is not a fucking joke either. This and, is a a death penalty offense or whatever. Yeah, uh, they'll hang you for this. Yes. If they fucking bring you back, they will hang you for sure. So they want to make sure that they can tie it up, and that's where that friendship comes into play, man. And it really fucks it up. And you know, Blake even challenges him. He says, "Fucking run me through." Do it. Do it. <laughs> Blythe's not a fucking, uh, like, weakling here. He's, he's a no. badass. He's fucking true and true captain. And, uh, you know, he just can't bring himself to do it. Christian cannot do it. So that's where he ends up putting him on the small uh, send-off boat. Yeah, it was only 24, uh 24-foot launch boat. So yeah, we're talking, well, like, jolly. a very, very small boat. What did it have, like, ten, 10 people on there? Um, I think it, it set was, it off with, like, ten. Yeah, it was it was around that close to a dozen. I don't have an actual number, and like some of the they actually couldn't fit all of the people loyal to Blythe on there, and some of them had to stay on the boat. And Blythe, I believe, said something along the lines of like, "Oh, you know, I'll I'll take account that you weren't a part of this." Yeah, yeah, man, it's crazy. He sends them off with the rations, um, and some it was of like his five belongings. days worth of rations or something like that. Yeah, very meager rations and uh in his belongings you know he was decent to him he gave him his like shit from the captain's like area you know which was his little like cot probably but that you know his navigational tools and uh it sends him off man they cut him loose from the ship and uh that's the last time that they'll see each other yep that's the uh the split in the friendship if they're if you're gonna say that there's a point in time that that's it right there kicking your friend off a fucking boat in the middle of the pacific <laughs> Yeah, man. It's like, I, I don't. Mean, I, I think I'm gonna unfriend him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd hope so. I mean, that's pretty fucked. I mean, 
the the journey they have to go on in that little boat is quite intense. Yeah, for the next forty eight days, they uh, they'll battle hostile natives, ferocious storms, and dwindling provisions before they reach. Uh, well, let's let's t- say what happens before they reach. Exactly. They they get kicked off that boat, and their immediate mission is to you know they need to find some drinkable water. Yes, yeah, that's the biggest issue. I think they were given very little water, and they have to ration it, and it was like. Just a couple of sips with your dinner, and that was it. Yep. You know, so they were working on nothing. And uh, there was an island that wasn't too far from them, I believe. Tofua. Yeah. And uh, he actually, he knew this island because he had sailed with Captain Cook, who was a notorious uh, captain that basically provided a lot of the mapping at the time for Newfoundland. And was also murdered by the the people that lived at Hawaii on Hawaii at the time. Yeah, it was a crazy journey. They were trying to steal the cat, the chief of the tribe, and he actually got killed. And and uh, and Blythe witnessed the whole deal. It was insane. Yep. So it all yeah. go down. So he knew how dangerous some of these islands could be. Yeah, but this tribe was on a good good uh, relationship status with Cook, so he intended to return there and uh, hopefully get some supplies and you know revisions to make sure that he can get to the next part of his journey. And Blythe ended up, like, staying there for a few days, about four um, mm-hmm. in early May of that year. And before he realized, like, uh, they're not friendly. They, they're going to fucking kill us if we don't leave. Yeah, yeah. They started out happy. It was really weird. They greeted. But then over those four days, something turned that he did not like. And that's when he wanted to gather his men and they said, we need to get back to the ship and get the fuck out of here. As they did that, though, they started to get uh, a little grabby, <laughs> I would say. Yeah, they uh, they actually, the ship was in the water, and they were towing off, but they had left the um, the anchoring rope dragging behind. And that's when the tribe starts grabbing the rope and trying to drag them back to the fucking shore. That's when, and it uh, gets crazy. That's when the quartermaster, John Norton, leapt into the water, uh, where he was immediately stoned to death by the people but hey they dropped the anchor so the rest of them made it out yeah you know he he sacrificed himself i don't know if he knew he was gonna but yeah basically they were so into killing him that they they let the rope go and they were able to fucking narrowly escape all shooken up now tofua is you know uh thousands of kilometers north of new zealand so they didn't make it too far yet at this point but they're headed yeah. towards Australia with the intent of fucking making this. They're, they're going to do it whether they, they die trying or not. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> they ended up sailing 3,500 nautical miles, which is about 4,000 miles to the west, uh, beyond the Endeavour Strait. And they eventually landed in Copang, or Coupang. Yeah. Yeah, man, and again, with the rationing, I just see this every time. They barely made it with little, little fucking supplies. Yeah. Uh, Just an ounce of bread a day and uh, a quarter pint of water. It's fucking crazy. You know, these men have endured hell. And I I think that's another testament to Blythe's captainhood, if you will. Yeah, man. Well, yeah, there was, you know, like, records of, like, there was a lot of heated discussions on this little boat. I believe he said he was going to stab someone with his sword at one point. He challenged the carpenter on this little boat with his sword, his cutlass, and one of the other crew members was like, 
uh, telling their quartermaster or something to l arrest him, to arrest Blythe, and he was like, you interfere with me and I will cut you in half. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, Jesus. oh my god. Yeah, but somehow they got past that, you know? <laughs> I don't know how you get past that, but they, they got past that incident. That's insane. And yeah, they ended up making it to uh, the Dutch East Indies, which is now Indonesia, um, to Kupang, uh, which still exists today. Really in search, probably just to get a little more rations, man. You know, anything they can eat, maybe fresh water on, in the center of these islands, something. Yeah, because I mean, they said that on a lot of uh, the areas that they were uh, kind of cruising through to try and get back to like an English colony, uh, they were being like trailed by um, people... Uh, from the different islands that they were passing. So people yeah. knew that they were there and they knew that they couldn't risk doing it again just for the water. So they had to yeah. make it. And they eventually made it to Kupang in the Dutch East Indies. And from uh. there, Bly and his entourage leave Kupang in a purchased schooner, the resource, found in or uh, bound for Batvia in Java. Okay. And after making it to Batvia on October 1st, Bly and his entourage Two weeks later, board the Dutch East India Man, Vil Viljit, bound for the Cape of Good Hope. So he's just kind of, they're they're hopping, you know, to get back to England. On they're, bigger ships, though. Yeah. They're rescued, basically. Yes, they're, they're good at that point. They finally got to a point where they don't have to uh, ration. They, they're finally almost home. By On March 13th of 1790, uh, Bly returns to England, and word of the mutiny on the bounty begins to spread around the nation. So he got back to tell yeah. his tale. Now, I think we should go back and tell you what happened to the bounty and what yeah. Christian was up to. You didn't think we were going to just leave them there it's floating in the middle of nowhere. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So the bounty on May 24th, 1789, anchors off of Tubai, which is 350 miles south of Tahiti, with its crew intending to stay there, but sails again a week later for Tahiti and then returns again to Dubai where it remains, remains for three months. So they're just kind of like hopping back and forth between Tahiti mm -hmm. and Dubai. Well, yeah, they're probably pissing themselves worried that a fleet of fucking Royal Navy ships are going to show up waiting to, to capture that ship again and fucking hang, hang all of, of these them. guys. Seriously. Yeah. In July of 1789, the bounty mutineers fight with Dubaians over women and property, leaving 66 Dubaians dead. So they went and, like, ransacked yeah. uh, Dubai. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and ended up taking a bunch of the women, too. And then by September uh, 21st, the bounty under uh, Christian Captain Christian's command drops 16 shipmates in Tahiti and then leaves Tahiti for the very last time. Yeah, man. It's those guys that probably just, they were like, fuck this, man. I want to stay here. And they still went. You know, they were like, fuck it. Yeah, we're going back. And I guess you it's know? assumed that the... At, at, on one of these stops in Tahiti, they picked up Christian Fletcher's wife, uh, Isabel. Mm -hmm. and I believe they picked up a few Tahitian uh, people and uh, women, too. You know, uh, They had replaced a few of the members that had gotten off. Yeah, they finally, you know, they were looking for somewhere to hide from the British Navy, like you said. And by January 15th of 1790, the bounty with nine mutineers, uh, 11 Tahitian women, six Tahitian men, and one child arrive at Pitcairn Island. After possessions and goods are removed from the bounty, it is set on fire. Yeah, and uh, it just goes into this this idea. This this Pitcairn Island is a really rocky, high cliff, mountainless—not mountainous, uh, just really cliffy. Like 
and it's, the surf makes it really hard to come to this island. So, you know, any ship that sees it is going to probably not fuck with it. So they're thinking this is one of the best places to hide. Yeah, it's uh, it definitely provides good cover if you burn the largest thing that makes you recognizable, mm-hmm. too. Yeah, now that the ship's gone, psh, there's nothing to fucking, you know, tie them to. Even if they're found, they can give fake names. Who are they, you know? Right. And it is uh, something to be said about, like, Christian's character. The fact that when they went to Tahiti, uh, they basically kidnapped the women that and men that were on the ship with them that they left for Pekin yeah. Island. Yeah, the same as, you know, they did with the, the Tobians. It was kind of fucked up. He uh, had a party, invited them all on, and then he cut the anchor and just sailed off with them. That's so fucked. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's that's ridiculous. That's how um, a bunch of the uh, mutineers were left on Tahiti. Oh, because, really? Yeah, that's why the split happened was because he, when they went back, he was like, "Okay, you can." Uh, he let fifteen people on shore, and Joseph Coleman was detained on the ship because he required his skills as an armorer. But then, when he cut the anchor, he sailed off with all the women and a bunch of uh, Tahitian men, and. He, the man Coleman escaped by diving overboard and swimming to land. Oh my god. And then, of those people that he kidnapped, six were elderly women who Christian had no use for, so he just dropped them off on a nearby island. Oh man. Kind of fucked up. That's, that is that is really fucked up. That's insane. So now they're hiding out at Pitcairn Island. Going back to to where Blythe is, he snitched on everybody. He has told the story of how they fucking took the ship over and now the journey's... What happened to the breadfruit? What happened to the breadfruit? The breadfruit's ruined. They took that shit and threw it overboard. Yeah, I was gonna say, they just probably fucking threw that shit in the ocean. Yeah, so now they're pissed off and that's where early November 1790 the ship Pandora is commissioned to journey to the South Pacific and retrieve as many of these motherfuckers as possible. So it departs England. And the Pandora, it has a ruthless captain. It has Edward Edwards. The man he, with two names. I wasn't going to say it. I, I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> the man with two first That's what names. we've been calling him. Yeah, he uh, he's a hell of a captain, and he's known as one of the most ruthless in all of the Navy. So... One of the best things about this guy, he faced a mutiny himself a few years back. So there's a little bit of a personal vendetta here. He's he's definitely out. He's like the the Batman of the British Navy. Yeah. Now after sailing out in November, March 23rd, 1791, you know the next year he lands in Tahiti, Mativia. Where are those fucking mutineers? And uh, that's exactly where a large group of the mutineers remain. And the thing about when he rolls up, a lot of them are happy to see him because some of the mutineers there are actually the loyalists to Blythe. Remember we had said that a lot of them had stayed behind on the boat because there wasn't mm-hmm. enough room. Yeah, and uh, even it was even said that a rowboat was rowing out to them, some of the uh, members. They were so excited to see like, this ship Thank God up. I can go back to England where there's well, smog in all of the yeah. air. Yeah. <laughs> kids are being put to work in in, in industrial factories (laughs) oh god (laughs) and uh unfortunate for them uh edwards really didn't give a fuck if you were a loyalist or not he took every one of them and just locked them up the same into what he liked to call pandora's box which was the brig's (laughs) locate it was located deep into the ship's hole don't open uh, it 
it was very hot where this was. So it, it was it was like uh, just people were constantly sweating and dripping and just like mentally drained from it. Jeez. You know, you put them in the yeah. butthole of the ship. Yeah, man. So they leave. They stay there for a month and they leave on May eighth. And they're uh, they're thinking they're gonna go back and bring these motherfuckers back. And uh, on its way back to England, it hit ground and actually sinks on a reef between New Guinea and Australia. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, unfortunately, it actually claims the life of about 34 crew members and four of the mutineers because they weren't able to escape. And those might even have been like loyalist mutineers, like ones that didn't even fucking like want a mutiny. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Could have been just innocent men, yeah. And uh, <laughs> it's just, it sucks for them. Well, you know, they, they, they were, the remaining survivors, they grabbed the uh, prisoners and kept them. And, man, they had to go on a hell of a journey just to survive. They had four ships, I believe, for the, the remaining crew members, and they, they were all overpacked. And it, the journey, they ended up bur- drinking the blood of birds in their own urine. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. I hear that survive. makes a nice spritzer in the summer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you can get past the, the, the aroma. Right? <laughs> now, uh, they ended up uh, sailing and end up in Kapang. They stay there until October 6th. Everybody ends up in Kapang. What's up with this? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Edwards grabs another ship. Uh, they're on a, a Dutch ship this time with his crew and the prisoners. And then the ship heads out in October 30th, carrying the mutineers. And uh, it arrives on the north coast of Java. Where uh, the Resolution, the ship built by the mutineers, which had been lost with a small crew four months earlier in stormy seas, is found. That's crazy. On April 5th of 1792, Captain Edwards and some of his crew, along with the caption, captured mutineers aboard the British man of war, the Gorgon. Which, oh, awesome name for a ship. Gorgons. <laughs> we hide. They get on the Gorgon at the Cape of Good Hope for the final leg of the voyage back to so they're jumping all over the place, you know, from uh, Kupang to Java, and then to uh, the Cape of Good Hope, back to England. Finally, they've made it, after losing a shit ton of people. Yeah. Yeah, man, it's horrible. Disease kills a lot. I mean, it's just a brutal journey in general. A lot of illness. Along with not knowing if you have a death sentence hanging over your head once you get back. Oh, man, that's scary, yeah. A lot of these guys are thinking they're just going to beat the fucking noose. On June 19th, 1792, the Gorgon made it back to England, finally. But now they have this death sentence hanging over their head. Six of the ten are convicted to be sent and sentenced to be hanged by the neck. And mercy is recommended for two, along with four others being acquitted of the crimes. Okay, so four got hung then, right? Well, technically, three convicted mutineers were hanged by the neck. Oh, man. Okay. Well, that's what you get. That's what you get, man. You don't want to throw your captain. You're on a fucking mission. It's it's crazy that it ended up coming back to them, too. Yeah, man. After being in Tahiti, bringing them all the way back there in, in 1790s? What the fuck? Seriously. Like, and, I mean, we even go another ten years later. We can return to Pitcairn Island. Where oh, descendants of the uh, of the mutinied bounty were still living and found in uh, February 1808, an American sealer lands on the mischarted Pitcairn Island, and a double canoe with three young English-speaking men come out to greet the ship. 
Mm-hmm. Now that's odd to see English-speaking men in these islands. Especially you know? a mischarted island. Uh-huh. So that, that probably threw them off right away. From there, they discovered that it's the home to a colony of about 35 people. The widows and offspring of the Bounty Mutineers and one surviving mutineer, Alexander Smith. Yeah, man, it's crazy. You know, it seems that a lot of violence happened in this community. Um, that's one thing that that all the records show is that this place had a lot of issues. And it, we can only be led to believe that maybe they killed themselves. That's the majority of the deaths. A lot of that is reported with, like, infighting between the people on the island and that leading to multiple deaths. But there's a, about 50 people still living there to this day on Pitcairn Island. They have, like, four-wheelers and little houses mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah, it's crazy. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Even uh, the wife of uh, Christian was still there, you know? That's Mawatua crazy too. or Isabella. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's so crazy, man. And to this day, there's still descendants living there in their own lifestyle. So that's the uh, the story of the mutiny on the bounty. Kind of twists and weaves yeah. all around. Uh, yeah, real quick, if you're wondering... What Blythe went back to doing, you guessed it. He went to Hall and Breadfruit. Oh, he did right after. Right back right to the after he commissioned a ship, and uh, yeah, he was he was out there slinging the breadfruit again. But uh, he did no a, mutiny he, this time. Yeah, he did end up becoming a governor of New Wales. So nice, you know, good for him. Good, good for him. shit. And if you want to watch a very interesting movie, um, I suggest the uh, movie called The Bounty. Uh, made in 1984, starring Anthony Hopkins, uh, Liam Neeson, Mel Gibson, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis. It, it was fantastic. It's a little long, but apparently it's uh, one of the better movies that was made off of this event, which there have been a couple, actually. Yeah, there has been a few. One way back with Clark Gable. Be careful. Don't watch that one. It's black and white. Go with the 84 one. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, Definitely. Definitely. And there's a bunch of documentaries out there, too. You can check out if you're a documentary nut, which I love documentaries. So scope them out on YouTube. Alrighty, people. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is the end of the show. Uh, this is where I tell you, check out our Facebook page, American Slackers Podcast. You can find the American Slackers group there where you can chime in with a bunch of slackers just like yourself. It's fun. Also, stop by the Instagram you can check out the live streams, the promos for each and every show, American Slacker Podcast on there. And check out the website, AmericanSlackerPodcast.com or ASPodcast.com. You can also find us over on Twitter and Reddit at A-M-E-R-S-L-K-R Podcast. All of our episodes also go up on YouTube. And you please rate and review the show on iTunes, five stars or nothing, and uh, tell a friend that you like the show. And thank you to anyone watching on the Instagram Live. We had a bunch of people popping in. Uh, throughout the show and we appreciate your viewing send us an email americanslackerpodcast at gmail.com and also check out our spotify playlist where we have all the artists we feature on the show and some of the guests we've had on the show search american slacker podcast you'll be rocking out in no time you can also support the show by becoming a patreon slacker head over to our patreon account just search american slacker podcast on patreon.com you'll find us you can also get some swag from American Slacker Podcast.bigcartel.com. You can get at me at MWG Media on Instagram and on Xbox Live at Maddie G from HP. And you can find me on Instagram and Xbox at Landers the Plane. Alrighty, people. Thank you so much for tuning in. We love each and every one of you. And until next time, that's it. There you go.